Well, we are back. Rebuilders is back. And on today's episode, we are excited to be chatting about Mark's new book, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders. What are we going to explore today? We're going to look at the thinking that occurred in the lead up to writing this book. I think five key things that I saw coming up on the horizon that really Christian leaders, believers need to get their heads around. So we're going to dig into that big five today. Excellent. And if you want to know more about the things that we chatted about during the episode, you can head to rebuilders.co and subscribe to our mailing list. Hi, welcome to Rebuilders. My name is Liddy and we're back. Welcome back, Mark. Welcome back, Daniel. Thank you. Back in the saddle. Yeah, or the chair. The chair. The chair. chair. And, you know, we had a bit of a break there, an unplanned break after COVID finally Mm. met some of the team. Yes, I had the COVID. You had, yeah. So I'm in this weird limbo where Trudy, my wife, tested positive. My daughter was sick. I was sick. Trudy was sick. We all had symptoms, yet me and my daughter didn't test positive. Actually, my son was sick as well. So we like, but then we all had the same symptoms. I, I reckon I had it, but Daniel, now is you you you've not had it yet. I have not, and I probably won't get it. Okay, that well, is that is name it and claim it right there. Confidence isn't a vaccine. Oh. that's a good line. <laughs> Thank you. I just yeah. came up with it then. Yeah. Feel free to write it down. Put it on a tea towel. I just uh, look. You got a fourth shot of of, of vain glory. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's my superior South Australian genes. You can mm. buy them in Rundle Mall. <laughs> <laughs> I've not been there for so long. Oh, one day. To all our um, Adelaide listeners, let, let us know how Rundle Mall is. Mm. Do they still sell, sell jeans? I imagine they do. For our overseas listeners, Rundle Mall is an iconic shopping strip in Adelaide. Um, Pretty much the only shopping strip yes, in Adelaide. Yes. Well, you're not wrong. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's also worth noting to our visual or well, YouTube tube listeners. We've, um, Slash it, watches. It, so, yes, watches. Yeah. It, um, you'll notice it looks different. We have um, a new, de- new desk mm. slash yep. new background same background we just pivoted we pivoted Mm. yeah we pivoted for a season a new season (laughs) 90 degree Mm. got a nice um the og podcasting desk actually yes this was mega desk in its former life am i correct that is yeah that is correct but the rumor on the street is that this is mega desk but you're working on meta desk Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah. the new season those episodes that i'm at home doing it really was just a foretaste of meta desk. <laughs> yeah. Is that where you're doing your uh, World War II D-Day <laughs> historical podcast from? The metaverse. It's only available on the metaverse. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. one of them. Just yeah. one of them. Yeah. Well, yes, we are in the grey zone. Mm. Very topical. It is yes. very topical. And... We're excited to be doing this sort of new, I was about to say series. Is it a series? Mm. Season, I don't know. They're yeah. all constructs, you know. Like yeah. What it, we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> Putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to get too existential. But, no. Mark, you've got a new book. I do have a new book. 
It's coming out on May the 3rd. Yes. Oh, a round you. of applause. Thank you. I, thank I you. could put in a sound effect in post. Do oh, it. Do it. Applause. Can you do it of people crying in joy? Yes. Thank right. you. Yeah. You'll hear it now. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Oh, that was that, beautiful. That was, that was, I'm crying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So a non-anxious presence, how a changing and complex world will create a remnant of renewed Christian leaders. Mm-hmm. So May the 3rd, it's being released, which I think this episode will probably be out by then or very nearly out. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so you can buy that um, wherever you usually buy your good Christian books. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, we're going to unpack some of the ideas in it. A lot of it we have explored in a number of ways uh, through our Rebuilders recording. Um, and a lot we haven't. A lot we haven't. Mm. So something to get your hands on. But today, Mark, let's start by... Good cover. Can I just say well done to the team at Moody for the cover. Yes, I was thank you, Moody. quite impressed. It's sort of like a planet, but it's also sort of uh, reminiscent of Disappearing Church. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Almost kind of reminds me of like a like a coffee cup or something on the table and splatter marks. I was thinking more of an interplanetary eclipse. That's that's better. That works more in the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. The I was thinking it's like pollen oh. on mm, yeah. a tablecloth. <clears throat> wattle? Wattle pollen? Yes, wattle mm. pollen. Mm. Mm. We could re- try, try recreate that. Does this say, is it, you know there's these tests flying around at the moment that like tell you about your personality? Is it a Rorschach situation? Yes, yes. What? A Rorschach? Rorschach test. Never heard of it. It's a spot. Google it. Yeah, Google it. Yeah, we won't do. Yeah. Ink block. We digress. It yes. looks great. I really like it. Yes. 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 Um, yeah, so congratulations, Mark. It's um, always exciting mm. to see this uh, mammoth amount of work uh, come to a final product. So yeah. excited to be able to talk about it. How about we start by exploring why this book at this time? Yeah. I mean, books are hard, as you just said. It's a mammoth amount of work and, you know, so you do them for a reason. Um, But I think, like, the reason I wrote this book is there was a sense that we were moving into a new phase and I felt that for some time God had had the sort of message that I was sort of delivering, um, which was, you know, crisis precedes renewal. And you could see, particularly with the pandemic, um, that the crisis was beginning to play out. The crisis wasn't just the pandemic. The crisis actually was a set of changes happening in the world that were radically changing the world that we're just at the beginning part of. Mm. And I felt like God sort of, you know, uh, you know, was wanting to continue to bring this renewal, this, 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 you know, reset moment um, for Christian leaders. And how do you, uh, you know, equip people to see the changes happening in the world? So I think that's, you know, in, really, you know, books are a container of ideas um, and I think the big idea was there's big changes coming and how do you prepare people for it? But also how do you share with people the vision that actually, yes, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of change, there's a lot of crises, mm. but also in the midst of all of that, there's wrapped up with significant opportunities, I think, for a renewal in the church mm. and in leaders and in believers at this moment. Great. Well, for today, just to work us through kind of why this book, why at this time, five things. Yes. I went like this and it's actually this. For those who are listening, I 
put the wrong amount of fingers up. Mm. Five. Uh, what would you what would you call them? Well, I think I think a good way to think about this, whilst this is sort of five reasons why I wrote this book, but also I think five frameworks to help people begin to orientate themselves in this moment. Great. Um, and I could sort of see the you know these are five things that were coming across um, the horizon, and perhaps people weren't really thinking about. So you'll notice that these things in the Christian world that gets attention often yeah. they're sometimes symptoms, not even causes. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to get at the at the centre of what are the big causes that are causing change in this world at the moment. How do you narrate and articulate that for people, and do that in such a way that is hopeful? Um, so that was the real goal. So yes, today we've come up with five reasons why I wrote the book, but more importantly, I think five concepts that people need to get their heads around at this yes. time. All right. Well, let's kick it off. Yeah. Structural change across the world, Yes, there is structural change occurring. What do you mean by this? How are we seeing it? So one thing I realized is that the people for a long time, I was trying to communicate that there was significant change happening in the world. Sometimes that was hard because people thought the status quo would just continue. People mm -mm. did not have to be aware to the significant cultural change happening in the world. I think as people became more aware of the cultural change that was happening in the world, the way that we tend to understand that and I think it's a shape of it's shaped by both our culture and the culture of particular church in the West. Mm -hmm. Is we view this as there is cultural change happening because our ideas are changing. So a lot of apologetics, a lot of worldview studies have this concept, and I think there is truth in this yeah. that you know there are new ideas now in our culture, and these ideas are coming against more established ideas, and these ideas are changing how we view the world. This could be people want to talk about postmodernism, or you know, people talk about critical theory, or you know, this sort of new Christian nationalism, or you know, there's these new ideas coming into the world, and that's the prime driver of mm -hmm. why everything seems crazy. Do ideas matter? One hundred percent. Do ideas change the world? Yes. But what I noticed happening was much more ignored, particularly in the church, was structural change yeah. at a massive level. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, culture can be changed by an idea, but I think ideas often flow from structural change that happens. Mm -hmm. And when you've got structural change happening, you know society will change. Now, what's happening at this moment is, is not that just we've got structural change happening in one country. We've got structural change and multiple structural changes happening in the world all at the same time. So what are some of these structural changes? There is a really significant structural change happening in the world around you know, a, the internet, around the effects of the digital revolution in the world. This is changing yeah. politics. We have a way that the world has been constructed now for the last 30 years, which is about a connected globe, which is about a global supply chain, which is built on just-in-time mm -hmm. um, uh, production. That is changing right yeah. now. We have had low wage growth around the world, but that's been offset um, the effects of that by the fact that we can buy things that are cheap. China has produced so many things over the last 30 years, cheaper and cheaper. If you mm -hmm. look at the cost of a stereo in the 80s, it's not a whole lot of different to now. And so that has actually created that structural change of how trade is working in the world has actually created the possibility of a kind of individualism that we live out. Um, if you look at communications, uh, the fact that to actually film something like we're doing now, distribute that around the world uh, like we're doing mm. um, at a very low cost, to do this, 
would in the 1980s or the early 1990s would have just been incredibly expensive. Yes. We would have had to have connection to distributors, to video producers. We'd have to go into different markets and sell it. We'd have to have TV studio equipment. I mean, this is better than what you have in the 80s, <laughs> which is relatively cheap comparably. Um, that is changing how people can communicate. Mm. Uh, institutions and organisations are built around forms of horizontal and oh, sorry, forms of vertical communication. That is changing radically in mm. our world. The geopolitical landscape is is changing radically in our world. Industry is changing. Cryptocurrencies are changing things. Social media is changing things. Uh, we have uh, more and more people who are, you know, our societies are becoming more diverse. Um, all of these things, structural changes, are changing the world. And what I began to realize is Christians haven't made the link between the structural change and the ideas. So people think that, oh, secularism is here because the ideas of secularism have gotten out and about. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is partially true. There is philosophical traditions and so on. But what they don't realize is that actual structural change also heavily contributes to how people view the world. Mm. So one of the sort of, you know, there, there's a different models of how you look at belief. Um, you know, one of the ideas is looking at the world between a scale of sort of abundance and scarcity or survival um, and security. And, you know, you can track, so for example, some of the more secular countries in the world, you'd look at Northern Europe, Scandinavia, um, places like Germany, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. Those countries, if you chart them in the world, the more secular countries also tend to be the countries where people feel more secure yeah. economically. They feel more secure geopolitically. They are not worrying that actually they're going to actually have to fight for survival. When you don't have to sort of fight for survival, uh, you can focus on questions of identity. You can focus on these issues which come about in politics and culture when you're not just trying to get bread on the table. Mm. You look at other countries then which are more on the survival um, scale, they actually have to, you know, their, their focus is very basic. Um, so what's happening in our world is some of those indexes are actually changing and that's going to have profound uh, difference for people. So partly what I wanted to do in this book, which I, I, I can't think of, I, I don't think I'd seen it anywhere else and maybe someone has, but how are the structural changes in our culture that are occurring at the moment and multiple ones at the same time mm. actually going to create a very different world? And I think also what I also wanted to do with that too was there was this sense where there was a feeling I could sense, particularly probably after I wrote Despairing Church, that was happening in the world where particularly Christians in the West, were feeling like everything was hopeless. There was this post-Christian juggernaut just rolling out. Those ideas were spreading. And as those ideas got everywhere, we're just going to face this inevitable secular future. I think the big structural changes bring that into question. So yeah. that's also a story. That's a story I'm trying to tell in this book and equip people to understand that. Do you think that these, these structural changes have been exacerbated by the pandemic? Yes. So I think some of them were coming. So there was changes, say, in industry um, yeah. in terms of, um, you know, technology. So, for example, say technology gives us the ability to work from home. Mm -hmm. um, that was slowly beginning to happen in places. But with the pandemic, that sped up really quickly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. for example, you know, in 
the city of London in the financial district, you know, they're talking about at the moment that people are coming in sort of Wednesdays, you know, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. People are not wanting to come into the city Mondays and Fridays. We're seeing that here in our in our city, mm-hmm. in Melbourne. Um, that may have happened, but it may have taken 10 years. It happened in months. And so I think even some of the geopolitical uh, stuff we're seeing in the world. We did on a Ukraine uh, episode. You know, the question is: I think Putin probably would have attacked um, Ukraine at some point, but did the timetable of that get sped up because of the pandemic? Yeah. Um, you know, we're seeing how um, just at the moment, you know, uh, COVID is, um, you know, with Omicron going around the world. We just all talked about it here. Meeting COVID now in countries which are highly vaccinated with boosters is a very different proposition from meeting COVID earlier on without mm-hmm. the protection. Um, so we're seeing that, you know, in a sense, it's it's going faster and it's it's a more mild form. So a lot of the world is sort of, you know, moving beyond the pandemic, even though the pandemic is um, still out and about. You yeah. Know, um, we just heard from someone in our team today who's got it, but, you know, it's quite mild so far. So that's sort of the experience of so many people around the world. However, at that moment that, um, uh, you know, we're talking about the pandemic sort of passing, we're also talking about inflation. Inflation is going up as yep. the supply chain issues in the world have been exacerbated by the pandemic. Yes. Now, I think inflation was going to appear anyway, but it's speeding it up. And, you know, we now have the port of Shanghai in a lockdown. There's some stuff happening, but it's in lockdown. Beijing's possibly going to go into a lockdown. Mm -hmm. The supply chain issues we were dealing with occurred because of some of the reasons, because of the first lockdown in China almost two years ago. But what happens now when, um, you know, China um, uh, uh, goes into another lockdown, which could be more extensive and longer, it's going to have tremendous effects on the world. So that's one example of how the pandemic at so many different layers has sped up these changes in the world yeah well we've we've also talked before about um how in the industrial age institutions were king right yes. um there was it was a very power up here people looked to institutions for governance leadership mm whatever, Mm. Uh, but we've moved towards this networked reality. How are these institutions then facing this networked reality? Well, I think the second thing um, for leaders to get their hands or heads heads around, or you can get your hands around it too, heads around, however you learn, um, (laughs) that I just had this sense over the last couple of years as I got around, maybe through three, four years, that there was this tremendous pressure coming, particularly against Christian institutions. Mm-hmm. I would have this experience of, you know, it could be Christian schools, it could be seminaries, it could be parachurch organizations, philanthropic foundations, churches of forms of institution. What is an institution? It's a group of people who come together for an express purpose, who want to pass the values of something on beyond multiple generations. Mm-hmm. Edmund Burke talked about institutions pass on the values through multiple generations as a way of getting just before, beyond individual effort. Um, and so much of the um, Christian world is built, particularly in the you know evangelical Protestant world, is built on institutions that were birthed in previous renewals and revivals. Yeah. Started by someone who, who had this heart to see 
what God had done in their life go forward and form and shape other people. We're formed by institutions. So institutions have this incredible ability to shape people and shape society. Um, we've all dealt with institutions. There are institutions which shape us. We went to schools. You know, we, we the government is an institution. Hmm. So the Christian landscape you could see was very much shaped by institutions. Now, I saw two things happening. The first thing was often institutions, after they go over several generations, can begin to lose the original vision of why that institution was created. There can be yep. mission drift. Yep. Um, I think most people understand that. The second thing is that certain institutions to continue moving onwards have to have this sort of essential knowledge of why that institution was created and how they can keep the true spirit of that institution continuing. And people forget um, how to, in a sense, do the key thing. So, for example, a seminary. You know, a lot of these seminaries began because there was a move of God somewhere and people needed to be trained. People weren't formed. Yes. And so, you know, like a lot of people all of a sudden wanted to be, say, pastors in a particular area. How do you train all these people really quickly? Or, you know, how do you shape them so that they're shaped? You can then – I remember going to some seminaries and I noticed this trend where – Less and less people I met were going to seminary to necessarily be pastors. They may be going to mm. be school teachers or they may be going to sort of get an arts degree to be school teachers or they may be going for other reasons. They want to be a youth worker or they're just studying. They're not exactly sure why. Yeah. And so the institution's continuing. They're still able to get people paying, but there's something that's changed in the essential knowledge of why that institution was created. So there's also this sense that also what's come against institutions is individualism. Mm -hmm. um, there can be this sense where we've seen an increasing hijacking of institutions for uh, platforms for individualism. Um, you know, I think we've talked about this before. Yuval Levin talks about how in American politics, things like these Senate subcommittees, um, which are institutional forms to actually help the institutions of the American government, uh, you know, do you know good leadership and mm -hmm. you know lead the nation. That all of a sudden you've got these senators because of things like YouTube who are see it as a platform to get their personal brand to go viral through giving some killer speech at this key moment. Yeah, that can happen. So inst institutions. That's not just happening in the in the U.S. Senate subcommittee. That's happening everywhere where people come in institutions not to be part of something bigger than themselves and push the good forward into the future through different generations through being part of an institution, that individualism was eating away. So you had this sense where institutions were becoming weaker. One other thing, so much of institutions, Christian institutions, were powered by a natural resource, which was the volunteerism of mm. the baby boomer generation. Yeah. The builder generation before them. Um, and then the baby boomer generation. But you saw with you know, Generation X and, and Millennials and Gen Z and Generation Alpha, that institutional sense of volunteering for something bigger than you where you don't necessarily get any individual uplift in your personal uh, you know, sort of profile, that sacrificing and serving something bigger, that that huge volunteer force of baby boomers, that that's going to pass at some time soon. Mm. Uh, they're going to move into retirement homes more. They're going to pass from this world. And once that huge energy of those people goes from institutions, you're going to see lots of institutions fall because there simply won't be the people to continue them on. Yes. And new generations are not continuing in those institutions in the way that we saw in previous generations. So you've got this sort of thing happening inside institutions where Christian institutions are becoming weaker. But then at the same time, 
a new dynamic enters the fray. Mm -hmm. And the new dynamic, as you said at the beginning, was networks. And what happens in networks is networks change the dimensions of power. Talk about this in the book. Yeah. Um, and just to give you, we may talk about this in more detail, but just give you a little preview is what you have now is you currently have a battle between institutions which have a top-down, as you said, yeah. understanding of power and authority. They're vertical. Mm -hmm. And then you have these very flat networks which can move very quickly. They can move like swarms and they can tear down institutions or severely wound institutions very, very quickly. One example from the Ukraine war, um, the Russian military going back to the Soviet military was very much based on a tank-based military, which had a lot of heavy armor. That's how they would win wars. Tanks yeah. are very expensive. If you could buy a lot of tanks, you could send people into battle. Now, what's happened is there's now all of a sudden these much cheaper technology of sort of shoulder-held and very portable anti-tank weapons. And the Russian tank columns are taking an absolute beating because what the rest of the West is doing, just sending in these sort of cheap uh, you know, shoulder-fired missiles, and that technological change has changed the power balance. Mm. The same thing is happening with institutions. 12, 14 people online with an internet reach of social media can come against an institution which may be two, 300 years old. And through using these emotive things, and this is sometimes good, it's sometimes bad. I'm just saying this is neutral at this stage. They can come against the institution to push their platform or even attack that institution and the power imbalance, that's like the shoulder-fired anti-tank -anti yeah, weapon. Yeah. And so I realized that leaders were not equipped because the story that they'd been told is if you want to have influence, work your way to the top of an institution, be it a big influential church, a, a, an influential seminary, a, a Christian parachurch organization, even a business. Um, and that's how you get influence. But influence has now shifted and power has shifted where this is much more flatter um, dynamic and that is coming against institutions. So what you're going to see is you're going to see, I think, the collapse of many Christian institutions mm -hmm. and the weakening, weakening and wounding of many Christian institutions and it could happen at an incredibly fast rate. It takes sometimes decades to build these things but in this new power balance you have this shaking and I was trying to give people a language for the, the institutional collapse that we may see um, and how to think well about institutions if you're leading one yes. in this new power yes, dynamic. Yes, yes. That was a long answer, wasn't it? Man. No, it was great. It was great. I do have many questions for it, but we'll um, I might raise those ones later. I think, you, I think we'll dig into that. In yeah, whole, yeah, whole, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, you were mentioning uh, large, I guess, Christian or church institutions, um, and I think – you know, much of the Christian world has been, or the Western Christian world has been captured by the American church yes. in um, over the last number of decades. And your sort of next point is that America is entering um, a multi-level crises yes. and we're seeing that filter into the American church. Yes. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? So my third point was one thing I could see coming was the United States was obviously, as I was visiting, you know, spend a month there every year, go twice a year. I would come back every, you know, twice a year and you could see the crises expanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, if you think about the last point I made is that yeah. institutions can be very powerful 
Uh, but in this new dynamic, they can be weakened very quickly mm-hmm. and they can turn toxic or they can have internal civil wars in them and they can be weakened by this internal sort of erosion of their original values. And if you think about America, America really is a collection of um, institutions and you could argue that America is the powerful institution. If you think of nation state as an institution, yeah. Ameri- you know, it's, it's centered around a constitution, centered around a, bunch of, centered around a bunch of ideas, so are most nations. And it has been the global leader, particularly since World War II. And you could describe the period from World War II till now as the American century. Many historians do. Yeah. Now, think about how that shaped the church. The Western church, particularly the English-speaking church, but in many ways also the Spanish-speaking church, the church around the world, um, has actually been hugely influenced by a constellation of American Christian institutions. Mm -hmm. And the Christian institutions, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. Because the American Christian institutions are close to America, the global superpower, which particularly after 1989 became the sole superpower in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, they then had this massive influence in the world. Now, one of the interesting things that if you think about it, what happened in the last 30 years was that there was this process of offshoring. Mm -hmm. Offshoring is when you move industry. So, for example, here in Geelong, uh, which is the second biggest city in our state, you had a big Ford factory. And Ford would make cars here for the Australian market. It's not there anymore because Mm. cars are now made offshore. And uh, that has happened in multiple industries. And so in many ways, what happened in the world was a lot of the thinking, a lot of the innovation, a lot of the leadership was offshored from countries. Yeah. So New Zealand Christians, Tongan Christians, Kenyan Christians, uh, because of America's a capacity in the world to produce resources and so on. It was offshore. Mm. Now, so much of that was good. For, for there's so yeah. many great theologians, thinkers, innovations that has helped the church move forward, which I think people are in- incredibly gracious for, uh, grateful for. But you could see, particularly over the last five years, that America was very quickly moving into a period of cultural crises mm-hmm. and and a multi-level crisis that you saw around what is America. There was there was there was questions of what was the national identity, and there was also this sense that America as the global superpower was now facing serious competition in the world from China, um, from other blocks of countries, and there was this sense that America as a global leader that it's the leadership in many spaces culturally. Uh, you know, know, I think still economically and military, but Mm. there was competition in the rest of the world. And as, you know, Farid Zakaria calls it, we're moving into the post-American world. So what my my question then was, if the American century has shaped the world, it has also deeply shaped the church. Now, for many years, you know, you could could see that there were also problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I think many people outside looked at some of the connections in the United States between U.S., politics and U.S. evangelicalism, um, connections and, and views around, you know, what happened. If you've got the most money, that can be this wonderful thing, but also there's a point where sometimes that will move into corruption. Yeah. and Or, you know, at, at worst, but just like a different way of looking at the world. So I began to have this question, like, what happens when we move into a post-American world? What will that mean for the church. Now, I think the first answer I came up with was like, oh, well, we're going to have a much more global church. You know, you can have this more balanced church, et cetera, et cetera. That was my first ideological answer in my head. 
But then I began to realize, like, no, because what's happening is not like America has disappeared and, and it's not influential anymore. Mm. Because so much of the world had offshored their, you know, leadership and thinking to the American church, and that's because America was providing these wonderful resources, what happens when America and thus the American church as one of many cultures in America going through profound cultural crises and in some areas moving into sort of a toxic discourse, what happens when that then spreads through America being at the center of the world yeah. and influences ch the church elsewhere? Um, you know, uh, you, you see weird situations where you're talking to people in Europe or you're talking to people in Australia or you're talking to people in Canada or New Zealand where people in their churches are having American culture war arguments. Yeah. And even churches in other countries are being torn apart by things that are part of American domestic policy. So one thing I wanted to ask in this, or try and do in this book is ask the question of how or, or narrate what does it look like moving away from the American century and how do we think as the global church as reshoring. So what's happening at the moment mm. is, for example, you know, got all these things that all of a sudden everyone is worried about that is made in China or Russia. And what happens when China or Russia goes into their own crises and we can't get something here? Um, so I, I just saw that um, uh, one third of fish and chip stores in the UK uh, are now, I sent this article to you guys last yeah. night, um, one, one third of fish and chip stores in the UK may close in the next six months, according to the Fish and Chip Shop. Bureau. Bureau, <laughs> or, you know, the, the <laughs> governing body, because a huge amount of the world's sunflower oil, which fish and chips are fried in, is comes from Ukraine and, and Russia. Mm. Um, so the British fish and chip industry <laughs> now has to find locally based forms of oil to cook in if they're going to survive. So in some ways, you know, I have this sense of, A, how does the American church understand what's happening? I wanted to narrate that for people when mm. you're moving to a post-American world and you're in a moment when multiple of your institutions are in crisis. How do you lead well in that? And then secondly, for those of us outside of America, how do we respond when the global leader all of a sudden isn't leading in a healthy way? You know, I wrote a line in um, – my book facing Leviathan, you know, what do you do when the leader jumps off the side of the ship? Yeah. And in some ways, that's the question we have with America. America's been leading the, the evangelical world, the, particularly the English speaking world. What do you do when the American church is going to crisis? When you're seeing leaders fall, when you're seeing churches that you've looked to, you know, become huge masses, you know, um, when you're seeing even, you know, worship leaders just construct their faith. H how do we understand that dynamic and how do we lead well and respond to that? So that's, that's a sketching out of, I'm like, how do I communicate this simply in a book? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot to to navigate. Yeah, um, yeah th those are big questions that you're posing. Um, fourth point, yes. if I may. Yes. You're, one reason, I guess, why you're writing this book is because you are seeing this trend towards leaders operating with the wrong map of reality. Yes, so not really seeing the truth or the reality of what is occurring in front yes, of them. Yes. So I just outlined three big trends in the world. So one is massive structural change happening in the world, which is yep. going to create a very different world. Mm -hmm. I think the world we're going to be living in in 18 months is going to be radically different to now, and I think it's going to be a more challenging world. Mm -hmm. um, already 2022 is a much more challenging world than 2019. Um, so huge structural change in the world. Two – institutions coming under increased 
pressure. Yes. And I think we'll see institutions that we thought would be there for the whole of our lives fall over. Mm. Three, the post-American world and all of the different changes that brings and for America moving to a period of real chaos and and change and, and crises. Okay, so you can handle all this stuff if you have good leaders who uh, can lead well in crisis, complexity and chaos. And one of the really interesting things is that in moments of crisis, complexity and chaos, unusual kinds of leaders emerge. Mm-hmm. Classic one is Winston Churchill, whatever you think of him or not, you know, there's public jewelry's out. But there was an element that this was an incredibly unconventional character who led in a particular way during World War II. Once the war was over, he, the guy got voted out. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at, you know, uh, Zelensky in Ukraine. Here's this actor that when he, comedian, who when he won office, people sort of laughed at and, you know, I was like, oh, here's another example of a celebrity winning office. Mm-hmm. But just actually quite an incredible intuitive ability to lead in the midst of chaos. Unusual people lead in the midst of chaos. And in order to do that, you've got to have a particular framework and understanding of reality. Mm-hmm. And the rules, there's different rules in, in this new world that we're living in. And my concern was that the last 30 years, the environment of the world that we had lived in, particularly in the West, the environment of the church, because the church exists in the world in the West, had not equipped us and actually had given us this faulty map of reality. Some of them, we can go into this in more detail as we sort of work through things um, in the coming episodes. But I think, you know, it it told us that if bad stuff is happening, uh, you need to find a safe place away from that bad stuff. Yeah. Uh, It told us that you can have this incredible, like, if you lead, you're going to get this incredible sort of therapeutic, meaningful moment of good feelings. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get the adulation of the audience or those you lead. Um, it had this reality that if you do A and B and C for God, you're going to get a payoff of D. Um, it had this sense that you could have life without conflict and that conflict was incredibly disturbing and awkward and uncomfortable and we should avoid it. It told us that everyone in the world was eventually going to think like Western elites. Mm. Now, there could be more, you know, could go through more here. Yeah. But what I began to realize is that people by the culture, by the Christian culture, by the institutions forming people in that culture had not prepared people with the adaptability and resilience for the world that was coming. Mm-hmm. And so that's partially where the, the, the um, uh, uh, title comes from, a non-anxious presence, that people were looking at these first three things I said, massive structural change, institutions under sort of, um, um, you know, battle from networks and how do you live in an, in a viral network that's so emotionally driven, mm. um, you know, the end of the global order as we knew it as an American-led global order and all the changes that that brings from, you know, a word from, world from abundance to possibly a world of scarcity that we just had not been taught actually how to lead in the midst of really challenging times. And so I felt like that's one of the key messages of the book. How do you give people a proper map of reality and actually let, in a, in a way, reality mentor us? Yeah. We'd been mentored by a fantasy camp version of reality where, you know, movies and TV and songs and advertising had actually shaped our imaginations. But the world was not turning out how we thought. The world was more chaotic. But – 
there's an opportunity to actually connect with reality in the midst of this. And that's actually a painful, hard and difficult thing, but it's actually a good thing. Right. And finally, I think that um, that point leads really well to what you are ultimately uh, aiming to do through this book and I guess aiming to do through um, everything you do, what we do here on Rebuilders, um, what you preach about on a Sunday is reframing renewal and who we are as mm. the remnant. Mm. Um, the weird thing about all of this is I felt for a long time, um, I can't remember if I've said this before on the podcast, but I felt for a long time like a little bit of a prophet of doom. When things were really good, I was sort of trying to point out like, hang on, a lot of this is a mirage. You know, I, my first book was a book called The Trouble with Paris, which was arguing that most people had fallen for this myth of, you know, hyperreality. I use Jean Baudrillard's concept of hyperreality, this false view of life that was even better than the real thing. And I was trying to sort of say, no, no, don't look at this shiny, beautiful thing that's allured and seduced everyone. Actually look to God's reality, God's kingdom. And so for years, it sort of felt like a bit of a prophet of doom, prophet in the, <laughs> in the wilderness waving, everything's not okay. <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was hard because you sort of felt like, you know, it was a very sort of slog uphill and, and people didn't understand and, mm. and it sort of felt like a sort of lonely, hopeless existence at times. Weirdly. There's all these challenges coming on the horizon and I have tremendous compassion and concern for what all these bring. But there's also part of this that I have tremendous hope. I have more hope now than I had 15 years ago because actually, again, looking at the historical record, looking at the moments the church turns around, these are the exact kinds of moments that the church turns things around. Mm. I'm going to say this really clearly. Like if you look at people say, oh, you know, it's like, you know, a moment like this is like, the Industrial Revolution, you know, where society significantly changed. This is a moment like the printing press where things significantly changed. I actually think it could be even more consequential. Mm. Now, you and I get to live through that. But when I look at what God did in those moments, you know, I look at the incredible innovation in the Industrial Revolution of an organisation like the Salvation Army, which I, I was a part of. You know, I look at, you know, the the reformation that happens in in the, you know, when the printing press is is is, is invented by mm. Gutenberg. You know, there's these moves that God does in the midst of things, despite things, turning things upside down on their heads. And I actually believe that in some ways there is chaos, but when we get a correct map of reality, we can actually see that it's in the wilderness times, it's in the difficult times, it's in that rub between you know, the sufferings that we're experiencing and the new creation that the Spirit wants to bring, it's actually in those moments that God does incredible things. Mm. So I actually think we're closer to the possibility of a genuine renewal in the church than we were in 2019 mm. when I wrote Reappearing Church because I said crisis precedes renewal. We are now entering a multi-crisis, crisis cascading with crises, and they're playing out and they're going to keep playing out. And I just want to say too, like, we're in this weird moment. We were talking about this yesterday uh, here in the office of like we're in this weird moment where we we sort of steeled ourselves and went through two years of pandemic 
and now we're coming out of it and like we've got virtually no we've got no restrictions for us at church on Sundays you can do yeah. what you want we don't have to check in anymore you're seeing churches across the world coming in Singapore just lifted you know restrictions yesterday you're seeing churches in Hong Kong starting to meet again like the world's coming back from this you know some have been back longer but the world's coming back from this and the weird thing is there's this weird malaise at the moment like there's this weird like we're coming back, but there's a sort of disappointment that perhaps not as many people have come back, mm. and you know there's less people at things. I'm hearing that everywhere. If, if just just side note, if you're particularly a pastor listening to this, and I know some of you are, um, funny that, that <laughs> and you're just like, ah, oh, I'm just trying to get going, and like one week it seems like people are back, and the next people drop off, and people who used to come every two weeks and now come every four weeks, and. You know, the auditorium's half filled or it's quarter filled or it's three-fifths filled, but not what it was. Mm. That is happening everywhere. That is happening everywhere. And one thing that has happened is that if you think about that faulty maps for leaders, there was a faulty maps for believers. And, and there was this moment where part of what the American century did, because America had such a preponderance of cultural Christians, it created a model of contemporary church, which was brilliant, running programs for cultural Christians. Well, this high-speed change that's happening in the world is, is meaning cultural Christians are increasingly realizing that they're not going to get cultural benefits and goods being associated with the church and are leaving. And that is leaving us in this in this sense of the genuine shift from a consumer, cultural consumer Christian church to a genuine remnant church. It is a heck of a lot easier running a remnant church mm. because people actually want to be there. Yeah. It's a heck of a lot easier running a prayer meeting at a remnant church than trying to do a prayer meeting at a massive church filled with consumer Christians who come because – you know, there's good child ministry, which you know, children's ministry, which they can look after their kids, and you know, there's great coffee afterwards, and all this sort of stuff, and it's it's all packaged in a nice 45 minute thing for you. So there's this genuine moment where I think, yes, this moment is difficult. There's less people, but actually, I think God is setting up something across the world where He's going to remake and renew leaders. He's going to remake and renew His church, and He's setting up a remnant dynamic. And, you know, we, we, we just have people turning up at church at the moment who have listened to Rebuilders, who have read something that we've put out, and they, they just say that God is doing something in them. Mm. Had it on Sunday. Yep. People feel this emotional thing. They're like, am I the only one? That is happening everywhere because across the world, the Spirit of God is pulling together a remnant. So that's why at the end of the day, yes, this is a weird doomsday book in some ways, <laughs> not a doomsday book, but it's like, yeah, there's big significant structural changes happening in the world and they're challenging and I don't want to downplay them or you know just write them off as some second order effect. They mean something and they're really difficult. But actually we may be moving into a period where it's easier to do genuine kingdom ministry to preach the gospel, to build disciples. Yes, there may be less people. Yes, there may be less money. Yes, it may be more challenging. But I think we're closer to a renewal now than we were in 2019 when this all began. And that's what I'm trying to tell the story of that in this book. Great. Well, I mean, if you don't already want to go and get your hands on a copy, then you should. Uh we will do some further episodes yeah. where we we'll unpack a little bit more of the kind of subplots that yes. come up in the book. And before we finish, if you want to know more, um, get some references that we mentioned during the episode, you can become a subscriber by going to rebuilders.co.